Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Justin Hall flying solo on this Tuesday edition as Mitch Prosser and Dave Wilson are traversing the Palmetto State with David Barton and our friends at Faith Winds. They were in Rock Hill yesterday. They're currently in Beaufort this morning. It's an exciting time. If you haven't gotten a chance to go out and see David Barton, check our website, palmettofamily.org. You can find it on Facebook as well. If he's coming to a town near you, make sure you get out and hear from David Barton while that's still going on. But I'm flying solo today in in some respects here in the studio, but I'm happy to be joined by Leah Savas from World News Group. Leah covers pro-life issues across the country, and there are several articles that we'll hit on that she's talked about. But Leah, thank you so much for joining us here on this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of just introduce yourself to the to the listeners, where, where you're from, and your perspective on, on these pro-life issues that you're covering, because you cover both sides of the gamut. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. So um, I report on abortion for World Magazine. I've been with World since 2019, and kind of since from the beginning, I have always been reporting on abortion and pro-life issues. So um, it, yeah, just kind of turned out to be what my editors assigned me at first, and then they hired me full-time after my internship to cover these topics. Um, and yeah, so World, World's goal is to produce biblically objective journalism, so I come at this from a pro-life perspective, although I, I do try to give some stories that kind of explain what's going on on the other side, um, kind of what pro-abortion groups are planning, especially moving forward with the possibility of a pro-life ruling in the Dobbs case. So yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens in the coming months. Certainly, it is a it is a different time for the pro-life movement. Uh, we were actually Palmetto family was on the ground on December first for that Dobbs hearing, and the things the conversations had that day and since then uh, are, are starting to shape kind of where the movement's going. But we'll get into that. In just a few moments. Here's what's interesting. I read a couple of your articles, and we've actually talked leading up to the interview about some of these. You you have one uh, that's called Montana's Pro-Life Push. And by the way, all of these folks are going to be available in the description of the podcast, give you a chance to read these. They're, they're very well done, uh, and they're well written, so I encourage you to click the links below uh, to read these. But in 1999, Montana's Supreme Court interpreted a decision that abortion was part of a right to privacy uh, in the treasure state there in Montana. And in this piece, if you can, kind of describe to the, to the folks listening what our friends in Montana are facing uh, when it comes to that decision and the effort for them to push pro-life legislation in the state. Yeah, so this actually all started two, several weeks ago. One of the designers for our magazine asked me to help him put together a map kind of showing how certain states could fall, or actually all 50 states would fall if the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe in the Dodds case. So I was I was just looking at other resources that were available and noticed that there were a few states that weren't consistently categorized in those various resources. So some said like Montana and states like Florida would be basically states where um, abortion would not be allowed. But other places pointed out that Montana and Florida had, um, and other states as well, 
had constitution or interpretations of the state constitution from previous state Supreme Court cases that basically established a right to abortion in the state. So it's kind of like a state level version of Roe v. Wade. Um, so that's just kind of emphasizing, at least from just talking to people on Montana, that the the battle really doesn't end with Roe v. Wade. Um, in Montana, they they had a March for Life the week before the National March. And um, the pro-lifers who attended the march actually marched up to their state Supreme Court, which was a change from what they normally do in the march there in Montana. Um, normally, they would take a different route. But this year, since they are focusing on trying to get their state Supreme Court to overturn their version of Roe v. Wade, basically, um, they wanted to draw attention to that by going to the court. So, um, and actually, the attorney general there has requested in a brief filed at the state Supreme Court, um, he's requested that the state Supreme Court overturn that decision so that they can actually enforce um, some pro-life laws that they passed last year and hopefully future pro-life laws that they'll pass. So yeah, like I said, that's just another another kind of point to consider as we look forward to the decision in the Dobbs case. Even if it's a good decision from the eyes of pro-lifers, it's not the end of the battle. Um, abortion is still going to be something that states have to contend with for sure. Certainly, it's going to not totally nullify abortion across the country. Every state's going to be different. The The law in California would certainly be different than the law as it currently is sitting in the Palmetto State here in South yeah. Carolina. Lee, I'm sure you, you know, and, and the folks at home know as well, a year ago this month, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster signed the heartbeat bill into law, saying that once a heartbeat is detected, it is the responsibility of the state to protect that life. Uh, he signed it into law. Now it has been enjoined in the court and still working through that process of trying to get it out of the court system and into law that is followed and that is executed, and the attorney general here and and the governor are working uh, on that front. Now, again, there are bases that say that if Roe parts of Roe are overturned, and that could immediately become the law in South Carolina. But we shall see. It's just different for every state. And so, when you gather at the March for Life, as Palmetto family was up in Washington a couple of weeks ago for the March for Life, every person that's there from these different states are, are marching for a different reason and. And that's what makes the march so interesting. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on this, Leah. When you have a bunch of different sections from different states coming together for that march, each seemingly having the same goal, but it's in some respects the goals are different. If you're, if for this example, if you're in Montana, your goal is much different than it is if you're in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's actually an interesting point because. Um, Back when the March for Life first started, people had different kind of perspectives of what they wanted to see happen with the pro-life movement. And this has continued, you know, decades later, this is still kind of a point of contention between different pro-life groups. But Nellie Gray, who actually founded the March for Life, she was kind of the main, the main force behind the March for Life for a long time until she passed away in, I think, 2012. Um, but when she started the March for Life, she wanted to march on Washington to encourage lawmakers on Capitol Hill to pass 
legislation that would basically overturn Roe v. Wade by saying that um, unborn babies are humans, they're persons. Um, but eventually that didn't seem like it was going to happen. So other groups tried pushing for legislation that would give states the ability to um, decide where they stand on the abortion issue. Um, but actually, Nellie Gray was not about that. She kind of saw that as compromising, and um, she really worked really hard just to get that um, personhood amendment. So at this point, now that we're facing the possibility of a favorable ruling in Dobbs, um, that ruling, at the most, it seems like it would just uh, allow states to take their own positions on the abortion issue. So it would not be a personhood amendment. So it actually is not what Nellie Gray started the March 4th. Um, so some, some pro-lifers still think that maybe this Dobbs situation is kind of a distraction from the ultimate goal of establishing the unborn, unborn babies as humans. Um, but, you know, I think on both sides of the issue, I think all pro-lifers agree that after this Dobbs case, there's still a lot of work to be done, regardless of what the decision is. Even if it's best case scenario, there's still, as Kristen Hawkins told me in an interview, she's with Students for Life, she told me once that it's going to turn into a 50-state battle. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good way to describe it. It, it is going to come down to state-by-state, state, like Montana trying to overturn their state Supreme Court decision, and Florida, um, they have great judges on their state Supreme Court, but... Um, some pro-life laws that they've tried to pass to kind of bait a lawsuit from pro-abortion groups. The pro-abortion groups know that that state Supreme Court is pro-life, and so they won't file lawsuits. Um, so it's just kind of a complicated situation there, but every state's going to have its own thing to contend with for sure. And that goes back to, to the piece you wrote about the legacy of the march, and that's kind of where where I'm going on this this gap in ideology, because I'll call it a gap in ideology, because some folks, um, some folks here in South Carolina, I've I've talked to them, and the Harvey Bill is nothing more than a than a speed bump on what they eventually what what they truly want to get to, and and every person has their own opinion on that, and whether the legislation is good or not. Is this gap in ideology? Could it threaten the pro life movement as it moves further? Because you mentioned person who said it's going to be a 50-state battle. Is a gap in ideology, whether it's wide or not, could that threaten the movement at all, in your opinion? Um, oh, it's hard to say, I think, because it has been around. There has been that gap around for a long time, for decades. So if if it has affected or it's going to affect the movement, it probably already has, too. So it's not like it's just looking forward what's going to happen. I mean, we've already seen some of those divisions. Um, so I guess I, I don't know, it, it, I guess it could be difficult in the sense of, you know, not joining forces on all areas and, you know, you're kind of better, better united, but there is something to be said for having different focuses. Um, and I think I'm thinking of this more in the sense of like, we have political groups, we have pregnancy centers, you know, they're both kind of serving different needs, but they're both important. So as far as like different strategies within the political group. I guess we'll have to see what comes of that. Of course. And for what it's worth, being in Washington, both for the March and for the Dobbs case hearing on December 1st, 
what I've noticed, there may be a gap in ideology, but there's certainly also a gap in age. The majority of the folks who were up there on December 1 and just a few weeks ago in January, 35 and under was the predominant age category when it came to who was present and who was there. Now, I don't know if that really matters, but it certainly could seem that the newer generation coming up doesn't hold to the same ideology or the same thought behind the movement as maybe even the founders did. Just, again, something to think about as I read through that piece uh, about the legacy marching on from those who who founded the March for Life. And one more, one more piece that you wrote that I really want to discuss, because I think this is important for the folks here in South Carolina, we've, we've talked about this, is this idea of chemical abortions or medical abortions. And uh, Leah, I don't I'm going to assume you don't know this, but if you do, kudos uh, to you. Uh, We've mentioned this data on the podcast before. According to the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control, in 2020, 5,468 abortions were performed in the state. Of those, 3,688 were, and I'm using their terminology here, medicated abortions. That's two out of every three abortions in the state were, quote-unquote, medicated abortions. And going back to December 1st, uh, we were there on the ground and saw the we'll take abortion pills forever banner that was out in front of the state house for those or the state house out in front of the Supreme Court for those uh, who were on that side of the argument. Uh, You wrote a piece about abortion in disguise. So kind of walk folks through what that change in language looks like as the pro-choice, pro-abortion side begins to think about life after Roe. Yeah, so it really seems like based on, you know, you just described that scene out in front of the U.S. Supreme Court on December 1st, that is like a really good image of what pro-abortion groups are planning for post-Roe. So another example of that is just in the last couple of weeks, I saw this clip from a, so I'm, I live in Michigan, I report from here in the Grand Rapids area. Um, but I saw a little clip from a, a Detroit area um, TV show, basically. It was like a Q&A between the host and a pro-life activist and a pro-abortion activist. And he was asking both of them, you know, what do, they, what do you think is going to come from this, this Dobbs case? And um, the, the pro-abortion activist on the show took a abortion pill she was like here and here i have this little abortion pill i'm going to show you how easy it is and how safe it is to take the abortion pill and she took it right there on on the show and at the end when he you know was asking for her final take on what was to come she's like you know it doesn't really matter what the supreme court rules because we have chemical abortions you know that was essentially her argument so i think that's definitely where pro-abortion groups are looking they're looking to expand access to the abortion pill. And I think one way, like you mentioned, that they're doing this is changing language. So um, I came across this concept of missed period pills kind of just by happenstance, which, of course, you know, nothing by luck. It's all <laughs> God's sovereignty. Right. But um, I was on this, uh, this website um it was abortion website. And I noticed there was a little link on there that said something like mysterious question mark. There's a pill for that. And I clicked on it just to see what it was talking about. And it was advertising this study 
for this, these drugs that you can take um, to bring your period back. And it was specifically targeted towards women who are not interested in knowing whether or not they actually are pregnant when they notice that they've missed a period. Um, and as soon as I saw that, it brought to my mind a conversation I had had just a few weeks or months before that with this man in the UK named Kevin Duffy. He used to work for a abortion group, Marie Stokes International. It's now called MSI, Reproductive Choices. Um, but he used to work for them and he would go into their clinics and um, talk to some women who came just to, like talk to clients and see why are they there? What do they think of their experience? Stuff like that. And in Bangladesh, Bangladesh was the one of the places that he mainly worked in. And in that country, um, he knows that women only refer to the abortion procedure as menstrual regulation. Even the um, the staff at the clinic would also refer to it as menstrual regulation. No one ever said abortion. Even in a closed-door meeting that he had with some leaders from the organization, he said the word abortion, and the other staff members were like, no, 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 we don't call it that. Here we do menstrual regulation. Because in Bangladesh, abortion is legal. It's not allowed um, but as long as you don't know that you're actually pregnant, as long as you don't confirm a pregnancy, you can end or you can bring your period back <laughs> through either a chemical abortion, basically, or a surgical abortion. It's just you call it something else. So it was interesting then seeing that kind of come over to the United States in the form of missed period pills. Um, and who knows if this is going to be a real strategy on the part of abortion groups, like um, they might turn to this new language to try to expand access to the abortion pill in states that will limit abortion. Um, but also it could just be a way of them reaching women who would otherwise not want to be associated with the word abortion. You know, people talk about the stigma of abortion and I've seen, um, pro-abortion groups decide, describe missed period pills as kind of that way of avoiding the stigma of a way of women being able to um, get an abortion without having to really feel bad because they don't actually know if they, you know, killed the baby. So, um, yeah, so we, we'll have to see how that goes. But it's obvious that from just those comments um, out in front of the Supreme Court when they had that banner that you were describing, it's obvious that they don't really care what the law is. And also that woman on the television show I was telling you about, she didn't care, you know, she doesn't care what the Supreme Court rules as long as we can, they can still access abortion pills through websites. And that's becoming more and more prolific as, um, especially since the FDA in December actually lifted restrictions on the abortion pill and allow now now women are allowed to mail order abortions without having any uh, legal repercussions for the abortionists who are distributing those pills so yeah we'll see what comes of that but it's definitely a new territory it certainly is and, and we've talked on here plenty of times on the on the palmetto family matters podcast about language and why words matter as as a journalism 
grad myself and, and you being a journalist, we understand that the words matter. And what's interesting about the folks on December 1 is they they use the term abortion pills. And I, I'm interested to see, because I do believe it will happen, uh, how they try to massage the language and how they try to change uh, the wording and, and change the the typography, so to speak, of, of what they're pitching, because right now mm-hmm. it's 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 the term abortion pills. So I'm interested to see if if the language change happens and how successful it is for them if they try to change the language. This I'm going to say it this late in the ball game, considering uh, what they put forward, because that was a very um, a very widely played clip. Uh, the picture is on the the story that that you have up. Uh, the video made its rounds on social media. It went viral across multiple channels. People were able to watch it, and some of us who were there heard it uh, and, and saw it firsthand. So again, this idea of the title of that piece, by the way, Abortion in Disguise, is very interesting um, considering the previous moves uh, of the idea of, of of proclaiming and 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 shouting your abortion, being proud of, of of what you've done, you shouldn't have shame. It should be a stigma. This, that, and the other. So again, very interesting as we see the moves going on in Montana. How does that relate to all these different states? You've got two different sides of the of the spectrum in, in some respects in terms of age within the pro life movement and how that works itself out in the ideology of what's considered wins and what's not considered because the Dobbs case is going to come down the decision should come down in June right before uh, the session ends for the court and of course when it ends uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will resign or he'll retire as a Supreme Court justice and the Biden administration is working on putting forward a new nominee to fill that seat. So it will be one um, liberal leaning justice to another we can safely assume. In fact, it might be a possibility that a that a South Carolinian fills that seat on the court and in Judge Child. So that's something to watch if you're a South Carolinian, and of course, if you're in the country and keep up with that sort of thing anyway. And then of course this abortion disguise, the move of the pro-choice, pro-abortion side as Dobbs comes down in June, which could reverse a lot of Roe and and send it back to the states. How do they counter? And then that sets up a whole other, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Leah, that's that's another 50-state battle uh, for pro-lifers and, and, and those across the 50 states of this great country to try to determine how they're going to fight for life in each state. So I'm sure you will have no lack of content uh, for the next several months as we get closer to Dobbs and certainly uh, after that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it might be a crazy year. <laughs> I'd love to see how it goes down. 2022 is going to be one that, that will be very interesting. Of course, we'll be following all of it here at Palmetto Family. And Leah, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Leah Savas from World News Group. And again, all of her articles will be linked under the description. But but Leah, how can folks get in touch with your work, how can they follow your work with World? So um, WNG.org is World's um, website. So that stands for WorldNewsGroup.org. And you can actually sign up for our newsletters on there. And I have one that I write every week. It's called Vital. So if you scroll down to the bottom, there should be an option on the webpage to check out what newsletters are available. So look for Vital, sign up, and you'll get updates on life issues every Tuesday evening. And I cover in those emails 
the stuff that's happened in the abortion um, debate and also euthanasia sometimes. And it's not only in this country, but internationally. So that's kind of helpful to see what's going on in other countries. So that would be one great way. <laughs> Please sign up. Absolutely. Leah Savas with, with World News. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, Leah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And that's all for this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Make sure you tune in this week. We will have an interview with Representative R.J. May of District 88. that will be coming out this week talking about his bill that puts the rights of parents back in on center stage when it comes to the education of children in the Palmetto State. Until then and until Friday, I'm Justin Hall. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon.